Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Nick Quilter. I'll give you just a little bio and then we'll start. Nick is 27, active in the church. Um, He is served in the Lima, Peru mission. Um, A few years ago, he recently graduated from the University of Utah with a degree in jazz. Composition. Composition. And um, I became aware of Nick because of a post on Median that he shared. And we're just going to start. It talks a little bit about LGBTQ. We're just going to talk, start with Nick sharing this post. Um, It's about a nine-minute read. I may interrupt him at times. I may not. So we'll just kind of see how it goes. So we'll turn it over to Nick. And Nick, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Um, I'll just go ahead and read. Hey, man, how's being in a tree going to help you get home? Because I have a rope, he responds. Can I have it? Nope. Please? He says nothing as he continues to pick away at the dead bark. If we are friends or even acquainted, it's probably no secret I've spent some time working for the Anasazi Foundation, a wilderness therapy company based in the Arizona desert. It's a place of miracles, not the sensational kind dreamed up by overzealous believers or the scheduling lined up just right kind, but the real overwhelming humbling in the dirt depths of humanity bring you closer to God kind. The creator of all things has a watchful eye and a steady hand in the work Anasazi does in saving families. At the close of a beautiful week, a little over two years ago, I was sitting in the quiet company of Ponderosa Pines, listening to the words of a wise mentor. He was speaking about the power of moving closer. He said, if you think about it, that's what the creator does with us when we distance ourselves from him. Two weeks ago this year, the words move closer rebounded, then flowed through my mind as I sat at the base of an abnormally tall juniper tree, speaking to a distraught teenager. He was, at my guess, 25 feet above the ground and had implicitly threatened to hang himself if someone did not take him back to the city. Have you ever been suicidal before? Yeah, I guess. Are you feeling that way right now? I don't know. A few minutes later, I say, can I come up there? This time, his silence meant yes. I started to climb and he offered to move to a higher branch so I could sit where he was sitting. I responded no and told him I would sit on the branch below him. I chose my words carefully so he did not feel challenged or exposed, but so he could feel that I was anything but indifferent. I did not want him any higher than he already was. As I got closer, he started to shift toward the open ground beneath him. If he were to fall from where he was, I figured he'd wind up with a broken leg and I could live with that. In all retrospective honesty, the paracord I thought he had and the brittle tree branches that would have had to hold his hanging 170-pound body weren't the worst threat either. As it turns out, he was shifting so that I would have a space on a closer branch. He wanted me to move closer too. I did not let the gesture go to waste, and I got as close to him as I could. We did not speak much. I asked him a few questions, but I didn't once ask him to come down from where he was. We didn't really talk about the tree at all. Sitting next to him, I knew that if he tried to jump, I could grab him. My heart felt still and warm as we sat in that tree together. He eventually decided to come down to get water and supposedly return to the tree. 
Despite the fact that he was not on the road back to Mesa like he intended, he never drank that water and didn't climb back up the tree. We eventually walked him back to his camp. Now, if I'm honest, I don't know why he came down from that tree, but I do know that I didn't go up to get him down. I went up because I loved him. The feelings of my heart were clear, and my head gave me permission to move. I could even say it encouraged my heart. I want to make a note that this story sounds far more romantic in retrospect. A lot of it was monotonous and, frankly, boring. Sitting around in the dry heat, trying to get comfortable in the dirt, finding shade, trying to settle in uncomfortable silence, and feeling hungry. I discovered the beauty in this story by thinking back on it, not intentionally creating it as it unfolded. I tried to love this boy and fulfill my duty the best I could, and the sincerity of my actions weren't always on the mark. I, like just about everyone else I imagine, experienced feelings of annoyance, inconvenience, and the all-powerful wanting to be somewhere I'm not. Feeling. If you go looking for a good story to tell, you'll probably find it, but I hope that's not what you're looking for. I often wonder about moments of quiet heroism that go completely unseen, but change the world or a human heart. Perhaps those aren't too different. I remember a caring text message from my mission president that changed my life in a way so subtle it is a true challenge to describe. Being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and a faithful one to boot carries with it my involvement in several controversial issues. One that weighs heavy on my mind and heart is the plight of the members of the LGBTQ community who are members of the same church. The current doctrine of the church makes it exceptionally difficult for any member of this community to fit in. One of our prized beliefs is that the, fam that the family is eternal in nature, starting with husband and wife. Yep, implicit in that doctrine is that being male and female respectively is of divine intention. It is more nuanced than this, which is important to explore. But essentially, if you are attracted to the same sex, don't feel like you belong in your body, you're not attracted to anyone sexually at all, etc., all of our highest ordinances are inaccessible to you. No one is going to tell me not to get sealed because of my sexual orientation, but they're not going to let me get sealed to a man either, which, of course, is the church's right to decide, and it should stay that way. I am fortunate because I do not have the authority to weigh in on the doctrinal points in the church. In fact, I'm quite privileged because I get to think whatever I want, and at the end of the day, I'm going to marry a woman. No one will question whether or not I believe that God approves or disapproves gay sex or gender transitions, but because I am a man and she will be a woman, I will get to waltz right into the temple and have my happily ever after. Being transparent, I honestly have no clue what I would do were I calling, a shots, were I calling the shots as the leader of the church, or if I remembered the church who was LGBTQ+. And fortunately for me, I don't have to, which is beautiful because as I forget and am, on, and, of remind of, and am reminded of so quickly, life is not about me or my opinions. It's about us. And it is my feeling that our opinions on policy can be a great way for us to hide from truly understanding what that means. I feel compelled to move closer to the LGBTQ community who are the members of my church and my friends. Each of them have deep stories, the majority of which are heartbreaking. I think of my friend who hung himself and another who overdosed and survived. 
I think about all of those who have crossed paths, who I have crossed paths with, who carry a conflict of authenticity and commitment so deep, yet I am unaware because they are too afraid to speak. I think of those who have left my church as well as those who see it from the outside in. I think about the mama dragons and confused parents. I think about the disappointed, vindictive, and worst of all, the ashamed ones. I think about those who, despite all their turmoil, still show up to church and do their best to love God fearlessly and are examples of faith to me and my community. I think about those who are the target of bullying and cultural disgust. At Anasazi, we are not supposed to climb trees. To all of my LGBTQ plus friends, I love you dearly as I love these beautiful teenagers I walk with in the Arizona deserts. I love you dearly as I love my church perhaps more. I'm removing the moat from my eye as I try to see you with fewer and fewer for justifications for staying blind. To my straight and wonderful Mormon friends sitting on the fence of indifference and inaction, it is time to get off the fence. These people need your closeness and you, not your opinions or lack thereof. Do not let what is said in the Bible or over the pulpit draw a line between you and this exceptional minority. If we are under the impression that we have to think the same, believe the same, behave the same, or have behavioral expectations of another before you love them, let us leave that behind in our pursuit of the second great commandment, which is like unto the first. In the words of a noble friend of mine, if you have requirements for loving someone, you're kind of stupid. Be trusting enough to let another decide how they keep the boundaries God has set before them. We do this frequently. When was the last time you asked to see someone's tithing receipt? Or in Sunday school, talked about child abuse and poverty as perverse friends to, perverts threats to the family. If you feel compelled to speak, do it. But man, I will tell you, it is far more blessed to listen. This community is nothing less than a gift from God, and we would do well to give them our hearts. If our hearts are knit together, the answers to the big questions will become clear. The nature of love is that it can't be conscripted into one practice or action. My common knee-jerk reaction to learning that I need to love better is, well, what am I supposed to do differently? I'm coming to learn this is the wrong question to ask. This is because that, this is because that question is all about me. A better question to ask is, what does love require? This list is far from complete, but here are some, suggest some suggestions that might get you closer. Number one. Be a beyond stellar ward member. Treat everyone you come in contact with in such a way that ref reflects your shared eternal value. The only way I found to cultivate this is to just go to stuff and talk to people a lot. Number two, there's usually a support group or two for LGBTQ plus people in your community. In Salt Lake City and Provo, there's a group called Encircle. They have regular meetings and you can attend on a weekly basis. I I'm not sure if that's True or I, I, yeah, it's true. Okay, I'm getting the nod. I think so. Getting the nod. Um, we'll go with it. <laughs> uh, uh, I also recently learned that Affirmation has a weekly family home evening every Sunday in Salt Lake City. Um, you can find info on their website. I've been to that, and it was a really wonderful experience. I'm really glad that I went. Um, number three, uh, ask an LGBTQ plus friend about their story, and then shut up. Listen to every word. If you get uncomfortable, keep listening. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I need to, should I read the PS? Sure. Okay. 
Uh, my intent behind writing this is to inspire. However, I would be lying if I tried to hide the slurry of emotion that dwells in my heart as I write about this. There is anger and love and confusion, which is okay. If you're reading this, know that I think the world is a beautiful place because you're in it. It is my belief that the one who created it decided that. So if I decide otherwise, I'm wrong. Thank you, Nick. Yeah. We, we could end this podcast right now at 12 minutes. It would be the shortest podcast we've ever done. Um, that brought tears to my eyes for the second time. And yeah. hearing you read that, the author of that, um, is very, very helpful for our listeners. Why did you, um, I'm going to ask you some questions now. And Anna, how do I say the Anna name? Sazi. Anna Sazi. Tell our listeners how you connected with that foundation. Um, so Anasazi has been around since 1988. Um, and before that, it um, kind of t it took the form of a couple different things, I think. Um, I'm not super good on the history, but um, it originated at BYU. Uh, it was a class called Survival 480, I believe, that was ran by Larry Dean Olson um, and Ezekiel Sanchez, who were the founders of the Anasazi Foundation. Um, and I came into contact with the Anasazi Foundation because um, I met a friend um, who, <laughs> who my aunt was trying to hook me up with, um, and she had worked for them. And uh, I had just come home from my mission and uh, was feeling the, the, I mean, I don't know, like uh, the best way I describe it is like, she, I, I think... And I don't know if I'm the only one that feels this, but I felt like I was in space, you know, like I, I didn't feel like I had a lot of ground and, uh, or, you know, a lot of stability. And she was telling me about, um, her time working for Anasazi and it just felt so good to listen to her talk about it. And it was so compelling. And, um, and, uh, she made a really, really big, big impact on me just because of who she was and, um, and I think a lot of the wisdom that she'd gained from working there. And so I eventually, uh, made my way to applying. Um, and I worked there. My first summer was in 2017. Um, and then I did another summer the next year in between college semesters. And then I did another summer after I graduated and stayed for fall. Mm -hmm. So I've worked cumulatively about a year, maybe a little less for them. Um, so I spent, spent a lot of time down there and out in the desert. Tell us about this experience in the tree. So is there a group of people around? Is it just the two of you? And um, another mm -hmm. question I have as you answer that one is you asked a question here that I think is a great question. Have you ever been suicidal before? I don't know if you have any mm -hmm. training, but I've learned that asking people if they're suicidal is an appropriate question to ask because it says that you're safe to sort of talk about that. Um, I don't think I've had, well, yeah, I don't know. That's a hard question to answer because I can't remember. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, working, working for a wilderness therapy company, um, for a lot of families, it's a, it's a last resort, uh, where they'll, for whatever reason, um, kids wind up there and they wind up there with a host of different problems, um, uh, and, 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 and uh, on, on occasion, I don't know what I would maybe say one out of 30, 40 kids. I don't know. Um, 
is has some sort of suicidal notion in their head at some point. Um, and so I think that I've kind of received I, training um, just kind of on the job and you know, like having to knowing just having to be there and having to figure out what to do on the spot. Um, and uh, I mean, that's one of, that's one of the things that I love about working in wilderness therapy is there is no amount of training that is enough. Like you, you're just, no matter how, and I was trained extremely well at Anasazi. I was um, taught really, really profound things. I was um, trained very thoroughly, uh, but no matter what you do, you are always going to wind up in a situation where you have no idea what to do. And um, you know, one, one, the, the same guy that talked to me about moving closer told me um, that there are times when you are going to be called to be ready when you're not. And, and, that, and, and so I like, you, you just, you learn a lot of stuff through that kind of process. And, um, but I also, I think at one point, um, I read through, um, the, the church has a big resource thing posted about suicide stuff. And I did a bunch of internet research on what to do and how to be a resource. And in, in that case, um, I think suicide has probably touched all of us at some point. Um, and it's just such a tragedy that like, you, know, you just you want to be ready for something like that. But with this kid in the tree, I don't think that he was actually suicidal. Um, I mean, if, if he was, I'm not, I'm not going to say whether he was or wasn't because that's, that's, that's on him. Um, I had to decide, <laughs> I suppose, but, um, I, what happened is, uh, occasionally, well, most of the time kids will show up at Anasazi without knowing that they were going to come there. And so they'll, you know, be told I'm going to, we're going to go visit your aunt in Arizona or we're, I've heard, I mean, this is kind of stereotypical maybe, but I've heard the Disneyland thing. Like we're going on a trip to Disneyland and they're not, they don't wind up in Disneyland, you know, like, and they find out that they're going to be stuck in the desert for eight weeks without their phone, without their friends, uh, living a pretty primitive lifestyle. Um, and, and in kind of a somewhat deceitful circumstance, um, and so, uh, a lot of, not a lot, but on occasion, um, kids will try to run and escape. Uh, and our typical practice there is to not stop them and to let them go. Uh, so this kid had decided that he wanted to leave. He made a decision. He told us he was going, um, and he was very, very persistent. Uh, and so he started walking, um, and we were pretty close to a road at that time. And so he got on a road and he started walking. And so two of us went with him. Um, and I think there were actually three of us. I, I don't, I don't even remember the details on this, but, um, there were three of us and we were just going with him. Um, and he got up to a spot where there, he knew there was a vehicle, one of our vehicles. Um, and, the, the guy who had the vehicle drove off. Um, and, uh, so, and he just said, I'm going to wait here until he comes back. And so we waited and we waited and we waited and we waited for three hours. And I went off to, um, to, uh, go to the bathroom and I came back and he was in a tree. He climbed all the way up there and 
was just kind of like, oh boy. Um, and so then, you know, what I told in the story, I went to the base of the tree and I started talking to him and I eventually ended up climbing up and, and he came down. I love, I mean, I love the symbolism of this tree and your natural intuition of how to handle this. And you didn't need to talk a lot. Um, I loved your open-ended question. How are you feeling right now? And he said, I don't know. A few minutes later, you said, can I come up there? This time is silence meant yes. There's just some really good intuition mm-hmm. that it's hard to learn in a classroom situation. And then this sure. sort of, you know, just understanding of what you could do to help him and what his nonverbal cues to you were as far as the two branches and what he was saying about where he wanted you. And so there was just, as I read that, I just, and I love the symbolism of the tree and the branches and the space and just assessing a situation and I have to think the spirit was guiding you to some extent there and um and you just have really good natural intuition you may not be every perfect in every situation but I love and that's not your purpose for sharing the story is to talk about what you did right but I love the what you did is stuff that all of us can do Nick you didn't do anything very except if we're able to climb up trees (laughs) um but you didn't do anything very unique. You just kind of fought, you asked really good questions and didn't force the situation. Um, you kind of accessed the seriousness or not seriousness. You knew he could break a leg. But so I think you just did a really good job. And I think all of us can do a good job. But I think we first have to find if someone's in the tree. And in this case, you could visually see that. And you knew this backstory of kids coming. But I think the question you ask, are you suicidal, is a great insight to just who's in the tree around us and who needs someone to sort of understand they're in the tree. And often it's it's in, it's message they're sending to us that aren't verbal, and, but it's also questions we can ask. So um, we've only got about 20 minutes left for us to record. Um, but I want to get to just tell our listeners... Um, because at your age, I wasn't connected to LGBTQ. Um, I wasn't connected to groups in the church that had a harder road. And it's one of the things I love about your generation. You're 30 years younger than me, Nick, and you have some perspectives that I, it took me until the last four or five years to start to develop. And it gives me hope for the future. But tell our listeners, what connected you to this space? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think that First of all, I don't feel totally connected yet. Um, I, 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 I have several friends um, who identify as a member of that community in one way or another, um, and I and I've and I've talked with them, uh, and they're all in they're all in different places and different spaces and um, feel different things, and and that kind of came to me. It's uh, not like I, I, I sought it out. It was just something that was there. Um, and, and I imagine that's just because of a cultural shift, perhaps. Um, and, but I don't know if I'm educated enough to talk about that in any sort of um, determinative way. Um, I think that as far as... Um, I, 
I, I, I feel like I, I grew up in a household where um, the talk of um, marginal or marginalized people um, was something that was relatively regular. Um, I, I'm, I mean, I, I very profoundly remember my dad talking about gratitude and always emphasizing how lucky we were and, um, how much we had. And I, th I think that caused some stirrings in me. And then my mom has always been a warrior for compassion. And, um, she, she recently has, uh, gotten her master's in mental health wow. counseling and she's a counselor right now. And so I think that that connects her to, um, marginalized people, uh, and people that just have a, a, a harder time. And so I, I think that that's, that's an attribute. Um, I also want to talk about a woman I met named Lana Strathern. She uh, is an exceptional soul, has the biggest heart of anyone I've met. And she also has a gift for photography. When we met and she was working on this project. She's, uh, it's something that she's still doing um, where she was documenting the lives of trans members of our church. And so as I got to know her, she showed me these pictures that she was taking uh, and they were powerful, powerful pictures. She has, she has a real gift. And um, I also got to know the stories that were underneath the pictures, which adds a whole layer of context um, that that um, makes it even harder for your heart not to want to twer turn toward these people. And, and um, so through her, I got introduced to the trans um, Mormon community. I uh, would I went to a trans FHE with her. Uh, I, I would go to lunch with um, some of her trans friends. I uh, became friends with a couple of them on Facebook uh, and, and uh, helped out with a couple photo shoots I, a couple times. Um, and so I, I got to know them pretty closely. And, and also through Lana, I got introduced to things that I didn't know existed like um, North Star. Uh, I'd heard about Affirmation before, but wasn't really f totally familiar with what they did. And, um, and so I, yeah, she, she really kind of, uh, I went to encircle with her. Um, she has her, she cares about that community so, so, so much. And, uh, that was really moving for me and really powerful. Um, it, Lana has this gift of just, um, choosing to love people regardless of context. Uh, or she has little apprehension in doing it. Um, and and it kind of, I think when anybody is around Alana, it makes us realize that uh, we have far too many pretenses that we have to pass through before we show somebody affection. And Lana doesn't seem to have any of those walls uh, built up. And um, so I, I think that she broke down a lot of the walls that I had built um, against uh, that community um, and, and so, yeah, she was, she was a very important conduit. Um, now that I think about it, I think my time in Peru was, uh, another one. I, that was a really, really stretching experience for me and a perspective is like someone 
took a can opener, you know, and just wrenched open my, my whole world. And, and it's like, Whoa. Um, and just seeing different people in different positions and, um, in a world that is felt like Mars for the first couple months I was there. And, um, so I think that that, that was, that's probably part of why I'm mindful. If I'm reading this correctly, you had a friend who did die of suicide, hung himself, if, and another one who overdosed and survived. Is that correct? Yeah. And were either of those LGBTQ? Both. Both were. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, um, the man who hung himself. I, well, I think when anyone decides to take their own life, um, it's wisest to not decide why they did it. It's very thoughtful. Um, because there's no way to know and there's no way to confirm that. And so to say that they, they did this because of A, B, and C is um, pretty hard. It's something that I don't think we can keep ourselves from wondering about or, sh- or that we should because um, it's clearly something that we should be involved with and try to prevent um, and to, to remove ourselves from a situation like that um, because it's their choice or, or whatever, um, I, I think is really, really, I don't, I don't know how to say it. Um, I like what you're saying though, is that it's, we shouldn't just attach a reason cause we don't know. Mm. That's very empathetic. Yeah. Did yeah. those two, that suicide and attempted suicide connect you more, uh, just like that kid on the branch or were you pretty connected to LGBTQ before then? Um, I remember when I was a teenager, I was driving with my mom. Um, and we were, we got to talking about, um, gay marriage, I think. And I remember telling her, it's just not right. mom. It's just not right. And I don't remember what she said. I don't remember the exact words, but it hit me so hard. She, like my mom, um, is not one to rebuke very often. Um, but I definitely got a a rebuke then. And I think that really shifted my heart and my mind a, a lot to be curious about it and to start to want to form opinions and think and do you remember what she said or do you just remember the feeling that it created? Um, it, it, it kind of just like a bucket of cold water in your face or, or it's, or it, there's, there's those times where you feel like you're so right and you're so justified in what you're saying and you're kind of on this righteous battle horse. And then it, it, it's like the, the, it's just all swept out from underneath you and you see the reality and you go, wow, I was being, oh, that was, that was, that was apathetic. Um, and that I should, uh, that is not who I see myself as or who I want to be. Or So I think that's probably what the feeling was like. Um, there's a lot of empathy in these words, Nick. I love you dearly as I love those beautiful teenagers I walk with in the Arizona deserts. I love you dearly as I love my church, perhaps more. I'm removing the emote from my own eye to try to see you with fewer and fewer justifications for staying blind. Um 
To my straight and wonderful Mormon friends sitting on the fence of indifference and action, it's time to get off the fence. These people need your closeness, not your opinions or lack thereof. Do not let what is said what is said in the over the pulpit and draw a line or the Bible between you and these except, this exceptional minority. Some great words in there. Um, talk about some people that step in this space that are active members of the church sort of become aware of the difficult role of LGBTQ people and the privilege they have. You've even used that word, and I like that, that you are going to walk in waltz, I think is the word mm -hmm. you use one day with your wife into a temple, and no one's going to... And so I think you recognize your privilege, and you recognize at the same time the difficult road LGBTQ people face, and you're a committed member of the church. And it's hard sometimes for people to do all that at the same time. There's a lot of potential dissonance, and it's... So the question is, why do you stay in the church when you recognize it's harder for LGBTQ people to stay in? That's a really good question. Um, and you emailed me about that uh, last week when we were emailing back and forth. And I've been thinking about it, um, how I respond to that question. Uh, I think it changes. Um, but um, I think it has something to do with depth. Um, when, um, uh, when I got up in fast and testimony meeting at the beginning of last month, or I guess this month, the beginning of this month, I, um, I said that I'm married and, um, and that's what my relationship with the church feels like. I, uh, um, I've gotten the privilege of seeing families pretty up close through my work at Anasazi. And I, um, and obviously I think we all see marriages and how they go and, and, um, marriages are very, um, I mean, I, I mean, I've never been married, so I, <laughs> I can't say how, how it's one way or another or, or, or any of that. Um, and even if I was married, it would only be for, you know, like one, one or two years maybe. So, um, it's not like I have any sort of actual opinion about, about the topic, but I know that it goes up and down. Um, and I, and I know that people hurt each other when they're married and, um, I think there is so much power in that commitment um, to stay together despite pain and hurt. Um, and, and so my relationship with the church feels that way too. Um, like a marriage. And, and I said this in fastimony, fast, fastimony, that's a, efficient way to say that fast and testimony meeting, um, is that I, um, I do not agree with everything that our church does. And that's on multiple levels, uh, for different things. Um, but I think that I, I, but I, but I do love the church, um, and I su support it and, um, and I sustain, I have a deep respect for the Quorum of the Twelve and the First Presidency and all that they have on their plate. 
just from being a missionary, knowing what, what it felt like to hold the responsibility of a missionary. And then I thought about what would it be like to be a mission president? And then I thought about what would it be like to, you know, be somebody that was in charge of mission presidents. And, um, yeah, I was listening to, uh, the leading saints podcast a while ago and they Kirk talked, Frankham. Yeah, yeah. Kirk Frankham, uh, talked about upward compassion or something like that. Yeah. You know, I like, I have a deep respect for the mantle that our church leaders carry and the, the weight of the decisions that they make because it affects a world of people, literally a world, an entire world. Um, and, and, and so I'm not going to pretend like I know better than them or know the right things to say. And I have, um, a great deal of faith and conviction about, um, the claims that our church makes, uh, as far as being a restored church, being a church that's led by Jesus. Um, and, and so I'm, I, even though I don't agree with what they say every time, um, I think it, it's my responsibility to do so. Um, and, and that's, that's not to say that, like, I, I think that there needs to be, I mean, I'm, I'm not quite sure how to, how to articulate that any further. Um, but, uh, when it comes to this particular thing, um, the conclusions that I've drawn up to this point are exactly what I wrote about. Um, and I think one of the, and I, and I'm, I'm so willing to be wrong on this. I think one of the biggest reasons why that community is suffering in our church is a question of distance, um, and a question of welcoming. I, uh, I, I read, I just read something on Facebook recently. I, is your daughter Blair Osler? No, oh, but are you related? To I'm Blair not, Osler? but I'm a. She's great. Okay, <laughs> I, was I tease about, her I was that I wish that. I were related to Blair, but I'm not. <laughs> okay, well, I saw something that was written by Blair Osler, um, where she she talked. She said that she she related to the social distancing at home church thing that everybody's doing right now to how LGBTQ people have always felt, and it's just heartbreaking. Um, and, and I, and I think that anytime we use the rules of our church or boundaries of our church as weapons against other people, then, uh, that's where we're really breaking the law. Um, there, there's, there's certain things I, I see this come up all the time. People like online on the internet and, and in person too, people tell me the church is not going to change. Things aren't going to change. It's just how it is. This is God's law. People need to respect God's law. And they say that like no one's ever heard that before. And, and that just kind of blows me away a little bit, a little bit. Um, there's this brilliant YouTube video and I talk about this all the time. Anybody who knows me who is listening to this is probably laughing right now. <laughs> Uh, or will laugh as I say this, but there's this YouTube video called It's Not About the Nail. And it's this couple where there's um, a, a man and a woman and the woman has a nail in her forehead. And she's even bleeding from the nail in her forehead. And she's sitting there on the couch and she's crying. It hurts so bad. There's so much pressure. I'm mimicking it. I don't totally know what's going on. And 
the man keeps replying, well, we can just take the nail out of your forehead. <laughs> like the very pragmatic, practical um, th thing. And, and they kind of spit back and forth a little bit. And then she yells at him, it's not about the nail. And uh, I hope I didn't just clip the mic there. Um, but she, she's so right. It's not about the nail. She probably is very capable of removing that nail from her forehead, right? Like, um, it's, <laughs> and, um, and, and, and so it's, it's really interesting to me that we are so quick to be like that with our, the LGBT community in our church, um, and say, like, this is the rule. This is the rule. And I think, and obviously I'm not, I do not want to speak for them. I, you know, I'm, I'm here to listen. Um, but I think a lot of what, like the, the, I saw my, my friend, um, Lana Strathern took a bunch of pictures of the protest that was at the church office building. And I saw pictures of all the signs that they were holding and not one, not one sign said, change the law of chastity. Right. Um, and, and, and for some reason the those of us who are on the other side of that feel, um, feel like that's what they're trying to tell us. And, and I guess my response to that would be, it's not about the nail. And even if it were about the nail, even if, uh, that was what they were asking for, for the law of chastity to be changed, that wouldn't matter. Um, and, and, and I mean, that's my response as a, 27 year old single man who grew up in park city who still has a lot of life to live and a lot to learn. Um, and, 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 um, so I think for me, uh, why I'm still a member of the church is because I, we are the church and the member, there are members of our church who, um, the, the, that identify as members of that community, they're just as much a member of the church as I am. Um, and uh, if I were to leave in protest, um, I'm not helping anybody but my own resentment. Um, now, leaving for another reason of, you know, the, the, you know I, obviously it's a lot more nuanced than that and there, everybody's story is different. But I don't, I haven't found a reason to leave yet. We're at the end of our allotted time, Nick. Um, I want to read a quote. You remind me of Thomas McConkie, um, who's been on the podcast, Active Latter-day Saint, a little older than you, but just like you, incredibly thoughtful. Here's his quote. I feel like the LGBTQ issue, issues, tension, challenge is the defining challenge in our church right now. I don't mean to say that authoritatively, but more impressionalistically. I can't think of a more profound turning point in our history or opportunity to really come together and practice Christian love. My heart aches for what's going on right now. So I encourage people to, how do they find your Medium article, Nick? What's the best way? We'll link it in the podcast. You can go to the podcast link description. It's there. But if people want to find it, how is, what's the best way? I don't know. That's um, okay. <laughs> they, well, my, the best, I, the best way that I can come up with right now is become friends with me on Facebook. That's a great thing. So, so spell your last name for it and uh, your first name too. Yeah. So it's Nick Quilter 
N-I-C, uh, so no K, um, Q-U-I-L-T-E-R, just like someone who makes quilts. And I'm just going to leave with one of the things from your blog post um, that resonate with me. Ask an LGB friend about their story and then shut up. Listen to every word. If you get uncomfortable, keep listening. And so, Nick Quilter, thank you for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. This is Richard Osler, your host, signing off. Mm -hmm.